Good morning. Happy Thursday. Rare good news out of Washington. Yeah, a deal on the debt limit appears to be one step closer. It is May the 18th, and this is today. Making progress, a potential turning point in the negotiations to avoid a disastrous default. Republican leaders now voicing optimism. We're going to work until we can get it done. As President Biden arrives in Japan overnight, a trip being cut short to oversee the last-minute budget talks. We're live in Washington and Japan with complete coverage. TikTok block. Montana now the first state to completely ban the popular app. This morning, how users are reacting and what it signals for the push to make TikTok off limits nationwide. Safe for now, Republicans block an effort to expel embattled Congressman George Santos, leading to a shouting match on the steps of the Capitol. Look, I can't, I can't continue to address you guys because there's a deranged member here. So. His fate now in the hands of the House Ethics Committee. What's next for him and the battle over removing him from Congress? New twist, the man accused of killing those four Idaho college students indicted for murder by a grand jury. The day in court he now faces and the impact it could have as the case moves closer to trial. All that plus Royal Rumble, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle claiming they were victims of a near catastrophic crash after being hounded and chased by the paparazzi in New York. But officials with a much different account. I would find it hard to believe that there was a two-hour high-speed chase. So what really happened? Today, Thursday, May 18th, 2023. From NBC News, this is Today with Savannah Guthrie and Hoda Kotb, live from Studio 1A in Rockefeller Plaza. Well, good morning. Good to see you. Welcome to today. We're happy you're joining uh, joining us on this Thursday morning. Yes, our top story this morning, those ongoing talks to avoid an all-out economic crisis. Yeah, President Biden touched down in Japan overnight. He's attending a global summit there, a trip that's being cut short to address the standoff over the debt limit. Well, that debt ceiling is set to expire now two weeks from today, and failure to come to an agreement would be a historic first, resulting in the U.S. being unable to pay its own bills. Yeah, if we put it simply, the repercussions would be massive. Social security payments could be delayed. Federal employees possibly not paid at all. One economist saying, quote, it's hard to overstate how bad it would be. We have full coverage from Washington and Japan. We're going to start with NBC's senior Capitol Hill correspondent, Garrett Hake. Hey, Garrett, good morning. Hey, Hoda, good morning to you. And that's all correct. And negotiators here in Washington now have very little time left to come to a bipartisan agreement on the nation's borrowing limit and then to pass that agreement into law. But with the cost of failure frighteningly high, both sides are working around the clock to strike a deal. With the June 1st deadline now just two weeks away, negotiators are scrambling to raise the nation's debt ceiling and prevent a potentially catastrophic government default. President Biden striking a confident note Wednesday. The leaders have all agreed we will not default. Every leader has said that. The president already cutting his trip to Japan and Australia short. He plans to return Sunday to what he hopes will be a bipartisan agreement. Negotiators meeting again overnight and expecting to work through the weekend. Well, we've got to get it done, so we're going to work until 
until we can get it done. Republicans are demanding caps on future spending, speeding up some energy projects, and the return of unspent pandemic funds. They're also pushing for changes for work requirements for some entitlement programs, including SNAP benefits. The president has left that door open over Democratic objections. You do not balance the budget on the backs of children and elderly, elderly and working families and force kids to go hungry. I mean, that is insane, unacceptable. Without a deal, a government default could cause interest rates to skyrocket on bonds, credit cards and some mortgages, according to a White House report, and potentially lead to millions of lost jobs. Well, with each passing day, the closer we get to the X date, the more damage it's going to do. The more worried investors are going to get, the weaker stock prices are going to become, the higher interest rates are going to go. Now, some progressive senators, including Bernie Sanders, are so dissatisfied with those Republican budget proposals that they're proposing that the president go around Congress entirely and lift the debt ceiling by invoking the 14th Amendment. The president has recently said he's been considering that option, but that it would have to be litigated and it wouldn't solve this current crisis. Hoda. All right. Garrett Hickforce there at Capitol Hill. Garrett, thank you. NBC's chief White House correspondent Peter Alexander is traveling with the president, joins us now from Hiroshima in Japan. Peter, more What do we expect from this trip? What is the president hoping to accomplish there? Savannah, this is the second summit of G7 leaders since Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and that war is really going to be a central focus of the talks here. Hiroshima is a compelling and really a poignant backdrop for these meetings taking place, the first city ever hit with an atomic bomb leveled by the United States back in 1945. And this visit comes amid new concerns that Russian President Vladimir Putin is threatening to use nuclear weapons. President Biden, he's scheduled to lay a wreath at the Memorial Museum here where the message is no more. Hiroshima's. Another key focus is pushing back against China's growing influence. There are renewed fears that what's happening in Ukraine could happen in this region with China building up its military and real anxiety that the Chinese are eyeing a possible invasion of Taiwan. Savannah. Well, as mentioned, the president canceled a huge part of this trip because of the debt limit standoff wants to come back early and deal with that. Is there any fallout you're seeing from that decision? Yeah, he's facing Republican criticism that he was heading overseas without a deal to avoid a default. The president is now no longer going to Papua New Guinea or Australia, where he was scheduled to meet with the leaders of Australia and Japan and India. China's rising influence certainly would have been a major topic there. Instead, the White House says that the president is going to meet those leaders on the sidelines here. Still importantly, canceling those stops because of the dysfunction back in the U.S. really is a major uh, a blow to the U.S.'s efforts to to combat China, and it shows how President Biden's challenges at home are impacting his goals abroad. The president has not spoken to China's President Xi in more than six months. A White House official telling NBC News that the two could meet at another summit later this year, but nothing is imminent. Savannah. All right, Peter Alexander traveling with the president. Thank you. All right, now let's move to the battle over TikTok. Citing potential security risks, Montana has become the first state to completely ban the wildly popular Chinese-owned app. And this morning, TikTok and the ACLU both slamming the move as unconstitutional, saying it violates free speech. NBC national correspondent Miguel Almaguer has the latest on this. Hey, Miguel, good morning. Hoda, good morning. Montana's new law is expected to head to court over exactly that issue. But the big question for many, could it be a sign of things to come for TikTok as lawmakers in Washington continue to push for the app to be banned nationwide? This morning in Montana, the clock is ticking for TikTok. 
So now we're just going to start banning TikTok on a state-by-state basis, huh? The state becoming the first in the nation to totally ban the wildly popular social media app. Governor Greg Gianforte calling the new law the most decisive action of any state adding it will protect Montanans' personal and private data from the Chinese Communist Party. TikTok firing back, saying the law infringes on First Amendment rights, promising Montana residents can continue using the app as we continue working to defend the rights of our users. The law would not only make it illegal for TikTok to operate in Montana, but also bans app stores from making it available to download, with possible fines up to $10,000 daily for each violation. It doesn't criminalize actual users' conduct, it criminalizes the sales. So it targets the app sellers. That might be the app store or that might be TikTok itself. TikTok, with some 150 million American users, is owned by the Chinese company ByteDance. Some critics fear that could give the Chinese government access to sensitive user data or the ability to manipulate what content people see. A claim TikTok CEO strongly disputed in a recent Capitol Hill hearing. ByteDance is not owned or controlled by the Chinese government. It's a private company. Still, 46 states have already banned or are working to ban TikTok from state-owned devices and networks, with the U.S. government now prohibiting the video-sharing app on all federal devices. Congress has also proposed bipartisan legislation to ban the app. But for now, frustrated influencers in Montana will have to wait to see what happens. All right. So, Miguel, what about the win here? When is this ban expected to take effect? So it's expected to take effect at the beginning of next year if it survives expected legal challenges, though none have been filed so far. But those legal challenges will be watched closely by other states looking to implement similar measures and will serve as a test case for how those local governments can go in banning or limiting TikTok. All right. Hoda. Miguel Almaguer for us. Then. Miguel, thank you. We turn now to a key vote on Capitol Hill and battled Republican Congressman George Santos, avoiding expulsion from Congress, at least for now. NBC's Ryan Nobles joins us with the latest on this. So, Ryan, walk us through what exactly happened with this vote and where things may go from here. Yes, Savannah, good morning. House Republicans turning back an effort to expel Santos immediately and instead voted to refer the matter to the House Ethics Committee, which had already announced an investigation into Santos. Now, their investigation was launched before Santos was indicted by the Department of Justice. The Democrats felt that that indictment was enough and that it was time for Santos to go. But the Ethics Committee has been looking into Santos since March. That includes his past business practices, campaign finance expenditures, and an allegation of sexual misconduct, all of which Santos has denied. Now, the federal charges against him include wire fraud and theft of public funds. Outside the Capitol yesterday, Santos reiterated his innocence and vowed to defend himself. In this country, everybody is innocent until proven guilty. I look forward to seeing the process play out. And if the Ethics Committee finds a reason to remove me, that is the process. And I was in that scrum yesterday. It got a little chaotic. The vote also led to this heated moment in front of the Capitol with Democratic Representative Jamal Bauman shouting at Santos that he needed to resign. And then a tense exchange with Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene. Savannah? Well, I mean, politics are just all over this. So what's at play here? What's the dynamic? Could Santos still be removed from Congress at some point? 
Well, it really depends on your definition of the timeline here. The work of the Ethics Committee does take some time, but the committee is made up of an equal number of Republicans and Democrats, and then they would need to make a recommendation for the full House to vote on. Now, traditionally, the Ethics Committee defers to the Justice Department on investigations like this, but Punchbowl News reporting this morning, according to several sources close to the issue, that the committee has turned down a Justice Department request to hold off on investigations further. Speaker Kevin McCarthy, for his part, has said that he wants to move quickly and avoid waiting around for a court decision. Savannah. All right. Ryan Nobles, thank you very much. Seven, twelve, a lot more to cover. We welcome Craig to the table. Hey, Craig. Hey, Hoda, Savannah. Good morning. Good morning to you as well. As President Biden and other world leaders prepare to meet and consider new sanctions against Russia, its military has stepped up attacks in Ukraine overnight. Explosions rocking cities across that country, including a key port and the capital of Kiev. NBC's Molly Hunter is there in Kiev with the very latest. Molly, good morning to you. Craig, good morning to you. That's right. Another massive overnight assault. And we heard those explosions, those interceptions very loud around 5 a.m. Now, this morning, Ukraine's Air Force says they were able to shoot down all but one missile. But over the capital, Craig, 25 fragments from those interceptions fell down, causing damage and a massive fire. Overnight, Russia firing at least 30 cruise missiles, Kiev officials calling the aerial assault unprecedented in power and intensity. In Odessa, one civilian was killed. In Kiev, falling debris causing damage. It's all part of an intensified Russian military strategy, the ninth major aerial blitz this month. The Russian defense ministry claiming it destroyed a U.S.-made Patriot air defense system earlier this week, a high-value target and a vital part of the Ukrainian defense arsenal. Two U.S. officials telling NBC News a Patriot system was damaged but is still operational. Overnight, new satellite imagery showing the destructive toll in the eastern frontline city of Bakhmut, which has seen the fiercest fighting for months. May 2022 and now the scorched earth of May 2023. And this morning, we're also learning more about the former American Green Beret killed in that same area, according to his family. Just months before Nicholas Maymer died, he spoke with NBC's Raf Sanchez while training volunteer soldiers outside of Kiev. These are, uh, I mean, these people want the exact same thing that your average American wants. Um, they want to, you know, raise a family, enjoy life, have a good quality of life and uh, have the chance for prosperity, better uh, future for their kids. His close friend, Ken Koberlein, sharing more about the 45-year-old veteran. Nick was probably one of the most selfless people I've ever met. He is a beautiful, uh, bright light that unfortunately, um, unfortunately, he's not here anymore. Now, as Russia's air campaign is stepped up, at the top of President Zelensky's list is still American F-16 fighter jets. Now, overnight, Germany and the U.K. saying they have agreed that any decision to provide jets or even provide the assistance in the pipeline of getting jets to Ukraine has got to go to the White House. And you've got to believe that will be on the table, at least a discussion point in, in Japan. Craig? Molly Hunter Force there in Ukraine. Molly, thank you.
Look. All right, let's take a look at what's going on across the country. It's cold. We've got temperatures well below average. We've got frost advisories and freeze warnings, maybe, mostly across upstate New York, back through northern and uh, even really southern uh, Pennsylvania, for that matter, back through Ohio, too. Temperatures are either going to tie or break record low temperatures in some spots. Buffalo, it's only 35 degrees. Syracuse, it's 34. Scranton's 33 degrees, tying the record. Albany's at 39. Philly's at 46. So you step outside, it feels like fall all day long. It's going to be pretty chilly, a little bit breezy, very low humidity. Temperatures running about 5 to 10 degrees below average, only 60s in New York. Portland, Maine, 59 degrees for a high today. There is warmer air waiting in the wings. Buffalo tomorrow gets up to 75. Philly's back up to 72. Boston's at 69. And then we'll bring some of that warmer air farther to the east as we go through the weekend, especially on Sunday for the northeast. We'll get back into the mid to upper 70s. Cincinnati, 77 on Sunday and closer to 80 degrees by Monday. And that's your latest forecast. All right, Dilly Dilly, thank you. Coming up, the impact of a key development in the Idaho College murders. The suspect has now been indicted by a grand jury. Gotti Schwartz is on the story for us. Hi, Gotti. Hey, good morning. Yeah, this new indictment by a grand jury is going to speed up the timeline on how soon Brian Koberger could go to trial and save the victims' families from having to hear that case presented more than once in court. Coming up, we're going to hear from the father of one of those victims. All right, Gotti, thank you. Plus, was it really a near-catastrophic chase? Well, this morning, the conflicting reports about Prince Harry and Meghan Markle's encounter with the paparazzi here on the streets of New York. We're going to hear from the police, the mayor, the royals themselves, and the taxi driver whose vehicle they were in. But first, this is Today on NBC. The very first Mission Impossible trailer, of course, starring Tom Cruise. That was 27 Wait, years ago. What? I know. The only reason we know is, did he put like a floppy disk in the computer <laughs> in that first shot? <laughs> anyway, the franchise is still going strong, and Carson will be along with the first trailer for the next installment. It's action-packed. Wait, Tom Cruise was in it 27 years ago. And right? it's incredible. And still doing it, and now he like flies planes. Uh, and uh, whatever. Amazing. All right, we're going to get to that. Uh, but starting off this half hour, we have a major development in the Idaho College murders case. Yes, the man accused in the stabbing deaths of those four students last fall has now been indicted by a grand jury. NBC's Gotti Schwartz joins us with details on this latest development. Gotti, good morning. Hey, good morning. That's right. Kohlberger is now facing four counts of first-degree murder along with one count of burglary. And he's now scheduled to be arraigned next Monday when he's expected to formally enter a plea. The decision to indict accused killer Brian Koberger through the grand jury means prosecutors won't have to call witnesses or present evidence in a preliminary hearing. That indictment charging Koberger with four counts of murder in the first degree for the killing of Ethan Chapin, Zana Kernodal, Kaylee Gonzalez, and Maddie Mogan in their shared home. The family wants to move along. They want to get a conviction and move, move past this as much as you can move past a case like this. Kaylee and Maddie, who were killed just months before they would have graduated, receiving posthumous degrees last week. Meanwhile, prosecutors say they have given Koberger's defense team thousands of pages of discovery, including some 10,000 photos, 9,200 tips, and 51 terabytes of video, audio, and digital materials. Police department search warrant! Come to the door! The night Koberger was arrested at his parents' Pennsylvania home, officers in Washington state served a search warrant at his apartment less than 20 minutes from the crime scene. Show yourself! We have a search warrant for the building! There, they recovered a wide variety of potential evidence, including a chemical-resistant black glove, multiple hair strands, and possible animal hair cuttings. I think you know why I stopped you. You ran the red light. 
What actually happened was I was stuck in the middle of the intersection. His white Hyundai Elantra, seen driving here during a routine traffic stop, was also allegedly caught on camera near the crime scene on the night of the killings. Koberger has yet to enter a plea, but his previous attorney said he believes he'll be exonerated. Once a plea is entered, the state has 60 days to give notice if they plan to seek the death penalty. Meanwhile, an upcoming Dateline special has exclusive new details about the investigation. If this does turn out to be a death penalty case, how long do you think it'll be before Brian Koberger actually goes on trial? It's really hard to put a finger on that, but I, I'd be surprised if anything happened uh, in terms of trial before the latter part of 2024, frankly. Now, even in the newly unsealed court documents, the biggest mystery in this case remains. There is nothing in there to suggest why the alleged killer specifically targeted any of the victims. It's also not clear if prosecutors think Kohlberger had met any of the victims before the night they were killed. Guys. Gotti, thank you. We want to turn now to NBC senior legal correspondent, Laura Jarrett. Laura, good morning. Hey, it's guys. interesting because a lot of states have this. You can either charge via a grand jury or via a preliminary hearing, which is like a mini trial. The preliminary hearing was scheduled and set. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, no, the grand jury is indicting. What do you make of this? Yeah, I think given the nature of the evidence in this case, guys, it makes a lot of sense. Remember, one of the surviving roommates says she saw a masked man. All she could tell is the person had bushy eyebrows, but she couldn't really make a positive ID. She says she saw him. She was frozen in shock. She goes, she shuts her bedroom door. She locks it. But they don't call the police for some seven hours. Mm -hmm. If, in fact, they had gone through a preliminary hearing, she would have to take the stand and be subject to cross-examination. Why didn't you call the police for seven hours? Mm -hmm. Instead, when they go through the grand jury, it's all behind closed doors. Uh. It's all entirely secret. She gets to testify, tell her story. She's not subject to cross-examination there. Remember, in the grand jury, it's only the prosecutors and the jurors in that room. I feel like this grand jury was kind of a surprise. Did it come yeah. as a shock to people? Like, no one thought it was going to come this quick? Well, it's interesting. They could have done it all along, and I think there's yeah. been... It's a little bit of a head scratcher. Why didn't they use the grand jury right, right away? It's always at the prosecutor's disposal. Perhaps they didn't have all the evidence they needed when they first got him. Maybe, perhaps, you know, they just wanted to arrest him right away, make sure they captured him, and then they knew they were going to do this. There's been so much publicity and publicity mm -hmm. surrounding. You know, it's a small town. Mm -hmm. So, you, again, you can understand why they wanted to do it, but just curious why they didn't do it right away. So, Koberger's got this hearing on Monday. Any idea what we can expect to, to come out of that? Yeah, so at his arraignment, he should be expected to enter a plea of not guilty or guilty. If he enters not guilty, obviously they'll set a trial date and then we're off to the races. At that point, then the prosecutor is going to have to turn over all of what's known mm. as the discovery, all the evidence. They've already turned over a mountain of stuff. Oh, you know, they've, they've been doing the process of that already, but he's entitled to see everything that they would use at trial. All right. So the process goes on. Laura, yes. thank you very much. A sure. programming note, by the way, Dateline will have a lot more on this case, including exclusive details about that investigation. That is tomorrow night at 9, 8, Central right here on NBC. All right, coming up, the unexpected game. It's sweeping through high schools coast to coast. It's chess, an inside look at why it is suddenly cool again and the inspiring things that are happening because of the surge. First up, Stephanie Gosk is here looking into the conflicting accounts that surround Prince Harry and Meghan Markle's description of a near catastrophic paparazzi chase here in New York City. Hey there, Craig. You know, here's what we know. We know that the Duke and Duchess were followed the other night. What is in dispute at this point is the nature of that pursuit. We'll have the details coming up.
We are back 740. We have an incident involving Prince Harry and Meghan Markle making a lot of news here in New York and around the world. Indeed. A spokesperson for the couple says that they were relentlessly pursued for hours by highly aggressive paparazzi in New York City. But this morning, they're mounting questions about that account with police telling a very different story. NBC Stephanie Gosk is joining us with more. Hey, Steph, morning. Hey, guys, good morning. Harry and Meghan had just left an award ceremony here in Manhattan. According to two senior law enforcement officials, the couple was spending the night at someone's home in the city and did not want the press to follow them. But they were followed. As for what happened after that, there are different stories. Harry and Meghan walked out of a charity event in Manhattan to a sea of cameras with security at their side. According to a spokesperson for the Duke and Duchess, a, quote, near catastrophic car chase ensued, adding highly aggressive paparazzi pursued the couple and Meghan's mother for over two hours all over Manhattan, resulting in multiple near collisions with other drivers, pedestrians and two NYPD officers. Mayor Eric Adams called the media irresponsible. It would be horrific to lose an innocent bystander during a chase like this and something to have happened uh, to them as well. But the mayor cast doubt on some of the details. I would find it hard to believe that there was a two-hour high-speed chase. A statement from the NYPD went further, calling the incident challenging, but said there were no reported collisions, summonses, injuries, or arrests. According to three senior law enforcement sources, there was not a chase, but they were being followed. Two other sources saying the incident was a bit chaotic, that the NYPD was escorting the Duke and Duchess, and the pursuit lasted an hour and 15 minutes. At one point, Harry and Meghan got into a yellow taxi at a police station, the driver downplaying being followed. With me, it was chaotic, but not crazy, crazy. They seem worried. They seem worried and nervous as well. The driver says he took Harry and Meghan back to the police station where the couple got into another car. The paparazzi have denied using aggressive driving tactics during the incident. Despite the differing accounts, the incident triggering memories of Princess Diana's death in a Paris tunnel. The tragedy that shaped much of Harry's life. Fury with the media has built up over decades. Harry drawing parallels between what his mother experienced and the way Meghan has been treated. The relentless media attention, at least part of the reason the couple says they stepped down from royal duties and moved to the U.S. But they've pursued a number of public projects here, including interviews, that Netflix documentary, and Harry's recent high-profile book release. Back in the U.K., Prince Harry has been fighting to get his royal security detail reinstated, which included police protection. His security was downgraded when he stepped back from royal duties, but that would not have affected the level of security he and Meghan get here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. All right, Steph, thank you so much. Very interesting. Let's Mm -hmm. go over to Dylan, get a check of the weather. Well, the weather is nice and quiet across most of the country. A couple spots where we could see some thunderstorms develop later today, especially back through the panhandle of Oklahoma into Texas. Wind gusts up to 60 miles per hour, some large hail, but the threat of tornadoes is very low today. We could also see a few of those storms uh, over into Alabama as well. Then tomorrow we're going to see the threat expand from Texas all the way up to western Tennessee. And again, we're looking at an isolated chance of a tornado. The bigger threats here would be for some damaging winds up to 60 miles per hour 
shower and some of that hail. Rain is also going to be a concern, especially back through Oklahoma. The ground is uh, pretty saturated, so an additional two to three inches of rain could cause some brief flash flooding. Although we have a better chance with this stalled front down across the southeast of seeing heavier rain through the Carolinas, especially down into Charleston, where we can see as much as five inches of rain. That storm system is going to make its way into the northeast, perhaps by Saturday. So we could see, especially across Long Island and into southern New England, up to about two to three inches of rain if some of those heavier downpours do set up for the start of the weekend. It'll clear out for Sunday, though. Don't worry. And that's your latest forecast. All right, Dylan. Thank you. Coming up, we've got a huge star apparently in talks for a reboot for a beloved movie franchise. That and a lot more coming up on Pop Star. All right. And then, guys, I can't wait to introduce you to this remarkable woman. She's living with ALS, and she's using social media to show the world you can still thrive, you can still smile, you can still (laughs) laugh. She's doing all three. You gotta meet her.